Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless Possible. Welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews, that would be me, and Zara McDonald, that would be you. Hello, and of course we are joined, as always, by producer Annabelle Lee. Hello. Hello. Coming up on today's show, Blake Lively will star in the movie adaptation of Colleen Hoover's best-selling novel, It Ends With Us, and people have lots to say about that casting decision. Plus, The Bachelor's finale delivered some interesting results. A couple of Aussie actors might have beef while two American celebrities publicly resolve theirs. And then the pop culture story of the week. TikToker Michaela Naguera posted a sponsored mascara video that's made millions of people very, very grumpy. But first, Zara, let's talk about our week. I mean, a bit of a funny and tough fur place to start this week because I think a lot of our listeners probably by now have seen or heard the news about Nat Fornasia's passing. She did pass away of melanoma at 28 on Jan 14. So it's been a couple of weeks now. Mm. And we do know that she was someone that you all cared about a lot. I mean, you all know that she was on an In Conversation episode with us four years ago. She wrote for our newsletter. But Sydney Live show as and, well. Yeah, true. And she was also just a, a really much-loved friend of ours. I think we have to be honest, it does sort of hit a little too close to home to talk about her passing in great depth here. We know it's kind of a strange one because so many of you heard us all meet publicly on mic because that was our first introduction. But I think while our introduction together was quite public, the friendship that we did cultivate in the years after that was quite private. Yeah. So it's sort of a a funny dynamic to have to and want to speak about it here but not really have any desire to spend great time because I don't even know how. Yeah well it's like the start of this friendship played out really publicly but like the the bulk of the friendship was really private to us and really cherished so mostly at this time we are thinking of Nat's family, her best friends and her husband 
our dear friend Alex Fornasia, Nan and Alex got married a little over a month before she passed away. And truthfully, one of the great joys of meeting Nat through this job was becoming her friend and then in turn forging a really beautiful friendship with Alexander as well. We love him a lot. We haven't been able to see him in person yet. We're actually doing that tomorrow. And we feel like we probably want to do that before we spend a lot of time talking about everything publicly because this is so personal to us. Yeah, as you said, Mish, we are formally saying goodbye to Natalie in Sydney tomorrow. We hope you can understand that we're not going to be doing Your Safe Friday this week at all. We will put some polls up for you all to vote. But as you can understand, we're not going to be on our phones. It's been a pretty rattling few weeks. I think that people probably got that sense a few weeks ago when we mentioned that we were just generally quite rattled. So I hope people can understand if we go gently here. And I think, Mish... Above anything, like I don't want to put and you don't want to put words in Natalie's mouth at this time. She dedicated the final years of her life to sharing her story in her own words. And we want to let those words shine first and foremost. Yeah, there are so many ways that you can familiarise yourself with Nat's story and learn her message. You can go read the beautiful words that she shared on her Instagram page at Natalie Fornasia. So please go search that if you're not familiar with her work. You can also listen to our interview with Nat where we met. That was recorded in April 2019. Just search In Conversation Natalie Fornasia on your podcast app. Probably the best thing you can do though is wear sunscreen. Put on a hat and get your skin checked. We have organised that for the girls in the Shameless office. We are encouraging everyone in our lives to do that. Every year we try and make this a priority, but like obviously, particularly Mm. right now, we want the listeners to do that as well. Yeah, ask your boss to organise it for the workplace if you can too. Like if that's an easier way to get it done and for you to to get groups of people to do it, do that. If you are a boss as well. Yeah. If you're a boss listening to this, please consider doing this or at least making time where your employees can go get their skin checked. It is such an important thing for young Australians in particular to do. Melanoma is the most common cancer in young Australians. It kills more young Australians than any other kind of cancer. We just need to be really careful in the sun. Yeah, take care of yourself, as you said, Mish, like for people to encourage the people around them to do the same. We are here today, though, we're at work, so we are going to do our job for the rest of the next hour, which is... A funny pivot but we've been doing it for the last few weeks and I found great comfort in doing this job I do find great comfort in doing this job when I'm feeling shit truthfully yeah I have for the last few weeks with you guys and it will be the same today yeah it's a weird note to like wrap it on but sugar sugar <laughs> we need to lean into the sugar this has been getting us through the last few weeks it's been a really shitty few weeks behind closed doors so from now, I will not start. I not keep crying. You're allowed to do whatever you want. Can I try? It's the- actually also our show, so we can do whatever the fuck we want. Can I please try the clunkiest segue of all time? It's actually a segue on this show, <laughs> and yes, you may, because I don't have a recommendation this week. That's fine. I've just got nothing to recommend. <laughs> um, so tell me what you've got, guys. If you are feeling down, if you are feeling blue, 
If you just really fucking love Paul Meskell, you need to listen to his interview on the Off Menu podcast. I told you both to do it this week. Zara, you clearly have not. I don't know what I've done. Did you listen to it? No, I forgot. Okay. I'm sorry. Well, you both try and tell me that I'm the one who's not enough of a Paul Meskell fan. And look at us now. But you have something to prove. <laughs> <laughs> we know in our hearts. Yeah. All right. Well, Paul Meskell, Shameless's number one boy, sat down with the Off Menu hosts. They're two... British, I think British, UK comedians who are incredible. They are quite chaotic though. So I'm going to preface this recommendation by what, saying... Coming from one unchaotic podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can skip the first 12 minutes. I appreciate that. 12 minutes, you can jump in and we start to kind of get an idea of where this chat is going. But let me tell you, once you're 12 minutes in, it is headed in a really wonderful direction. This podcast has a beautiful premise. It's the kind of show, Zara, that I listen to and go, why the hell did we not create this three years ago? What's it about? So they sit down with like incredible people. There is an episode with Stanley Tucci. There are so many incredible people that we really love and they get people to tell them their dream meal like tell us your dream menu you oh, sit their down magical restaurant ma- magical restaurant so you can sit down and not just say i want a coca-cola it's i want a mexican coca-cola from this place when i was partying with these friends like it's storytelling at the same time so it's like desert islandists but for food absolutely so i think it is your <laughs> ideal podcast it is Foodie genuinely Sarah. your ideal so podcast what so, a concept. so much of it's about food paul meskel is just beginning his foodie journey and i think you will love it the chaos is a lot to kind of get used to at first, but you really get on the ride with the hosts once you're in. It's a wonderful premise. It's a wonderful, wonderful chat with Paul Meskell. They all giggle so much. Aww. Like they have laughing fits all the time in this episode. It just put me in the most sunshiny mood. And I think it's fair to say in this episode, I saw snippets floating around that Paul Meskell essentially did acknowledge that he is single right now. He said something <laughs> to the effect of, actually, you know what? I'm not going to paraphrase. I'm going to get Annabelle to insert the snippet. <laughs> that means I can listen to it on workouts. <laughs> I've been able to give up smoking for periods of time, uh-huh. and then, but I'm always looking for the excuse to start again. Mm-hmm. Like I'm always like, God, I hope something fucking bad happens <laughs> so I can just start smoking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, so I'm smoking again, which read into that what you will. Um, <laughs> Yeah, he's single. I think that says to me, single. He's also smoking it. Paul, put down the cigarettes. I know, know, absolutely. (laughs) But I still love him a lot. I actually will listen to that because a lot of times this week, I've said to myself, I need a podcast to listen to when I wake up because I listen to, the first thing I do in the morning is put on a podcast. Yeah. I've just run out of podcasts and didn't think about this one that you'd recommended a million times. There are hundreds of episodes as well. So so you can deep dive so, so many. It's a real goodie. Nice recommendation. I promise I'll come to the party next week with something. (laughs) (laughs) I will. Annabelle, do you want to fill the spot with a rec? Sure. I've been watching a lot. Oh, actually, I started watching Ted Lasso on the weekend. So late to the party on that. Love it. That's a sidebar. (laughs) Like, you only just started watching Ted Lasso. Yes, because I I never had Apple TV, but I recently got a new phone. So I got like the three month free And I I don't say that because it's like how embarrassing you only started watching Ted Lasso like that's so rude 
I mean it as in you would be the ultimate yes. Ted Lasso fan. Yeah. And I was kicking myself when I was watching it that I hadn't started earlier. I yeah. just think Ted Lasso and you were like one in the same. Yeah. I'm shocked that you've only just started Sad. watching it. I saw a lot of him in me and me in him <laughs> as I was watching. That's not my rec though. My rec is The Last of Us that you can watch uh, on Binge yeah. that I did recommend on the book club episode from the weekend. I'm seeing a lot of really cool people recommend this. Yeah. Pedro Pascal, water hottie. I also, because my partner's watching this as he sits next to me in bed on his computer as I just like read my book because initially he told me it was like a zombie show and he was like you're not interested in this it's like a video <laughs> game thing and I was like you're right I'm not going to be interested in this but then the most recent episode I had seen all over my Twitter with people saying this was like the greatest hour of television I've seen in a really really long time and he was like it was yeah I don't want to spoil anything but it's really top quality like the ratings are incredible I would say though don't watch it when you're eating dinner which is what I made the mistake of doing because of zombie guts or there's just like really <laughs> gross just don't do it okay <laughs> okay all right. gross scenes. I don't think I can watch it now because I've seen too many spoilers so I'll debrief with you off mic you know what I've missed all of the hype, I feel FOMO. So I really need to get into this. Yeah, maybe I do too. But before we do that, <laughs> let's get into the first segment of the show. We have to start with Colin Hoover and the It Ends With Us casting because it's been a big combo this week. And I do actually very quickly want to put on the record before we start, we're talking about It Ends With Us. We're talking about Colleen Hoover. There will be very slight thematic spoilers about the book if you haven't read it yet. I would imagine a lot of people know these spoilers thematically, <laughs> but I just want to say that first. Yeah, in case you missed it, Blake Lively has officially signed on for the movie adaptation of It Ends With Us. Shameless book clubbers read this book along with us in May 2021. Was We've it? almost been doing book club for three years. Was it that long ago? Oh, I don't think that's true. No. <laughs> that just... Uh, no, okay, no. then. No. Wow. <laughs> May 2021. So it has gained momentum at an insane rate. It was originally published in 2016, which also shocked me. It's almost seven years old. Well, I knew when we did it in May 2021 that we were late to the party. Well, we felt like we were. Yeah. But I actually don't think we were because it was the best-selling book of 2022 this became like it's always been a big thing it's always been on bestseller lists but it exploded last year in fact we polled our shameless listeners two-thirds of you have read a Colleen Hoover book which is a pretty insane stat. that is pretty nuts it's also been on the New York Times bestseller list for over 90 weeks I can't remember a book that's had such a huge impact on culture I also can't remember a book the bible <laughs> Well, <laughs> oh, maybe if we want to maybe the Da Vinci hole. Code or something. <laughs> Have you ever read that? Ah, <laughs> uh, she hasn't read it. She Have hasn't read you? It. Has anyone? No, but I didn't. I didn't bring it up. Imagine if I said, "Yeah, <laughs> the Da Vinci Code." God, that didn't that have a, a chokehold on our parents? <laughs> Jesus. Um, anyway, truly, in the last maybe 10 years for our generation or ever for our generation. I truly can't remember a book that has such a huge influence. I will stand by that statement. <laughs> but what I was going to say is also that's got a lot of people who aren't into reading into reading. Yes. What I've seen a lot of an overwhelming amount of is people saying this is the first book I've read in years and it's got me back into reading. Now, if you aren't actually across the story, the book does follow the story of a successful florist named Lily Bloom. <laughs> we do talk about that in the yeah, book club episode. Yeah. <laughs> Who finds herself falling for a neurosurgeon by the name of Ryle Kincaid. Now, the book does document Lily's tumultuous marriage to Ryle as her childhood friend Atlas Corrigan re-enters her life. Yes, the characters' names are real. Atlas, Ryle and Lily, Lily Bloom. <laughs> I did love this, right? <laughs> now, 
It's really important to note that the narrative of this book is loosely based on the story of Colleen Hoover's own mother who escaped domestic violence when Colleen was growing up. It is not really a spoiler. I would be shocked if any of you didn't know that. Domestic violence is a big theme of this story. Yeah, 100%. And now I think what's been really interesting about the casting for this film is there's been a lot of hype around it. There's been so much hype around this adaptation. And the casting particularly of Blake Lively has sparked some conversation. Lily in the book is 23 years old. Blake Lively in real life is 35. I have wondered how this is going to play out. Mm. That said, Blake Lively has youthful energy. She does. Mm. Is she not? She's like a, I was, is chameleon? Chameleon's the yes. right word. Yeah, She's yeah. like I, a chameleon. I agree. I have found the controversy around this or the outrage that they've cast a 35-year-old woman to play a 23-year-old woman slightly interesting. I do mostly get what people are getting at. But then again, we often see 20-something women play like 40-something-year-old mother of three. Yeah. Like, it's not as if we're not used to women playing vastly out of their age range. We're just so used to seeing younger women play much older characters. Yeah, and I also I do have a bit of faith that Blake will bring a lot of freshness to this role. The other person that's been cast is Justin Baldoni, who our listeners might remember from Jane the Virgin. He is playing Ryle. He is also directing the film and both he and Blake are executive producing it as well. Yes, I want to bring up two comments that we got. We posted a, an Instagram post, right? We posted a screenshot of an article announcing this news to our Shameless Book Club Instagram page. And can I please read you out a few comments that piqued my interest? Because I really want your take. One read. It ends with us as both a book and movie that doesn't need to exist. And I wish we could all just go back to a time pre-Colleen Hoover. Another read, there's something that sits weird with me when an actor is so excited about producing and directing a book to film adaptation and then casting themselves as the domestic abuser lead. And then another, unsure how they'll make this film without romanticizing domestic violence. Some of those comments, the first one I read out actually got 140 likes. So those are quite popular sentiments. Yeah, these aren't unique sentiments to our comment section. I've seen this quite a lot over the internet Mm, what do we think i think particularly about that one this is a book that didn't need to exist and i wish we could all go back to a time pre-colleen hoover what's happening there i mean i don't think it's shocking to say that as colleen hoover has found this like monumental level of commercial success that there has been like a counterculture movement to say her book's aren't nearly as good as the sales are saying Mm. nobody should be reading this they're just not good books and i'd say that that some of them are an acquired taste they're interestingly put together but no one can tell me that they're not really quick page turners yeah a conversation we've had around a lot is there is a lot of snobbery when it comes to women's fiction there's a heap of snobbery and yes maybe these books aren't winning the book a prize but that's not to say that they don't have a role and that's not to say that colleen hoover isn't wildly successful mm. i think when it comes to it ends with us the other element to the conversation that you brought up is this idea that we can't tell stories about things like domestic violence because it's romanticizing it having read this book i'm quite shocked by that because i didn't think this romanticized domestic violence at all if anything i thought it was like a really important portrayal of domestic violence read by millions and millions and millions of young women 
who tragically may actually find themselves in an unhealthy dynamic and who, by reading stories about it, might be able to see signs from far away. I agree. I think on the domestic violence stuff, I really struggle with the idea of how are they going to do this movie without romanticising domestic violence when we know that often the reality of domestic violence, particularly partner violence, is that you love the person who is hurting you and inflicting harm upon you. Yeah. So... I don't know if a story is anywhere near as powerful. It would not have reached anywhere near as many people if love was not a central feature of the novel. Yes, it's complicated. Yes, it's messy. But I think we often actually strip the audience of any respect when we act like readers can't tell that or can't figure their way through that. Like, let's give adults who are reading this book more credit to say that we can deal with complicated stories and we can deal with stories about domestic violence and the impact can be largely positive. I agree with you. My personal impression, like come to us with your opinions. If you thought otherwise, then please voice that. People definitely did in that comment section. Having read it, I do struggle to see how people feel this book is so damaging. I think it is a little overblown. My other thing is that comment saying, I find it weird that someone would want to produce this film, want to direct this film and then cast themselves as the domestic abuser lead. That is a very unusual pathway going down if we're trying to act like actors choose roles that indicate who they are in real life. Their whole job is to act as someone else. I pretend. I flatly reject that. I literally have no time for that sentiment that someone who plays a bad guy or a complicated guy or a flawed guy in a movie is therefore a dodgy guy in real life. That is ridiculous to me yeah 100 percent. but i also think it speaks to the complication of this conversation where i i do sort of think we're getting a little distracted by things that we don't need to even back to that point on, on romanticizing domestic violence it's like is it romanticizing domestic violence or is it just actually presenting the reality of it mm. and if we're thinking that a storyline as you say that has love at the center of it is romanticizing domestic violence does not not in turn prove the point that a lot of us actually don't understand the reality of it mm. and the incredibly intense and complicated dynamics. And why so many people struggle to leave. Yes. Like, is, doesn't it reach more women to lay out their own situation for them? And Colleen, uh, like, I'm not Colleen's biggest fan in the world, but I do think she's done some pretty great work. I think she is very successful and there's a reason for that success. She has watched her own mother go through this. Yeah. What's to say that her mother wasn't also deeply in love with the man who was inflicting harm upon her? It's very arrogant of us to say this isn't a story that exists out there when I would say the opposite is true. Well, it is a Colleen, very common story. And Colleen has told us that this story has happened to her in some way, shape or form. I think the other thing we do need to point to here is perhaps people are particularly upset about this casting and this all being in the zeitgeist because Colleen actually announced and then withdrew plans to release and it ends with us themed colouring book in the last few weeks. Some people online were completely enraged by this and said that Colleen was going to be profiting off domestic violence victims. I think the colouring book was a pretty strange decision, but it's like I'm not outraged i agree i mean the coloring book i find strange like yes. i it's not a decision that i think i would make it's clunky but with stuff like this and the outrage about the coloring book i can't help but think who would be tangibly harmed by an it ends with us coloring book being out in the world yeah people might profit from it 
Who is being actively harmed? I can't think of anyone who is being directly harmed by a coloring book being out in the world. And also, if you wouldn't want to buy it, then don't buy it. I find this kind of stuff really interesting, how we find products personally offensive. It's like, you don't have to buy that thing. Yeah, they withdrew it. I think they withdrew it because the commentary just got so inflamed and so outrageous. It was clunky, but it did not deserve the level of intense hate it got online yeah and then i think the other final thing we need to bring into the fold here is when it comes to colleen hoover whenever she comes up on my tiktok now invariably when i go to the comment section and when i say she comes up or someone's talking about her books or her name pops into the conversation and i go to the comment section there is invariably a comment about the fact that her son is a sexual harasser and colleen hoover endorsed that and blocked the young accuser on tiktok Can we unpack that for a second as well? Because I do feel like a lot of our listeners would have seen that sentiment around. And it's probably important as well in this conversation to talk about how that rumor got so many legs. Yeah. Well, one video about we should all boycott Colleen Hoover because she excuses her sexual harasser son was liked 800,000 times and viewed more than 5 million. So this is like a widespread thing that is extremely damaging. I think it's probably important for people to note that this all began as like a social media thing, right? So this began early last year. By November, Colleen publicly responded to this rumor. She wrote on Facebook, things being said about my son are not accurate. People are commenting that I blocked a girl for informing me that my son had sexually assaulted her when she was 16. This absolutely did not happen and this is not even initially what was said by this person. My son and a girl were online friends for several months. They never met in person. He said something to her in a message that made her uncomfortable. He asked her to send him a photo. So she messaged me about it. I did not read this message, but she thought I did, and it understandably upset her that I didn't respond. She then posted on Twitter that my son asked her for a photo. As soon as I found out about this months ago, I reached out to her. We discussed what happened, I apologized to her and thanked her for bringing this to my attention, and I offered to send her our home address and lawyer info should she want it. I held my son accountable for sending a message to her that was inappropriate. I addressed it directly with her and my son. I am not sitting here saying that Colleen Hoover and Colleen Hoover's son are angels or flawless or perfect in this situation. We don't know. But to say that someone has been sexually assaulted and Colleen Hoover has, I don't know, somehow tried to cover it up is, to be blunt, offensive to sexual assault victims. This is not a story of sexual assault. This is a story of requesting a photograph on social media, which, yes, can put a woman in an uncomfortable situation. But let's not conflate that with rape. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And I also think if we're wanting to hold Colleen Hoover accountable, quote unquote, because that's the topic of conversation because she's the famous one, then probably do the due diligence to work out whether she needs to be held accountable to anything. Because in my mind, it's, it's she's done the job that she needs to do, which is hold her son accountable, reach out to the girl and make sure that everybody is comfortable. But she's the adult in the scenario. Yeah. But like, you can still buy and read her books. There's a lot going on and, and it does terrify me sometimes when women are so wildly successful that they reach this level of fame because there's never a world where we don't do this to them and we don't completely tear them apart. And as I said to you, I'm not going to stand here and say she's flawless because I don't know her, but I also don't know if a lot of this is fair. Yeah, it's scary how it's terrifying can catch fire on TikTok and go unchecked. Like it terrifies me that a video saying this woman 
is covering this up. Let's all boycott her. It's terrifying that that can be liked 800,000 times and go unchecked. Like, let's just read things and get across things before we jump on a bandwagon on TikTok, please. Coming up after the break, guys, The Bachelor's finale has aired. Two American actors are publicly resolving their feud. And then we need to talk about Michaela Naguera's mascara video. But first, a word from today's sponsor. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough lay and tumble of the celebrity <laughs> and pop culture news cycle. It's it was time to bring it back. Michelle. <laughs> Smiling at me, Andrew. What have you got for me? Love you, gals. <laughs> My first story. Olivia Wilde and ex-Jason Sudeikis seen hugging in LA following Harry Styles' split. That is from People Magazine. Olivia and Jason are back on Shameless in 2023. They've been papped together for the first time in a long time. They were sharing a hug on a sidewalk in LA. Yeah. Now, if you did what I did, which was not just look at the pap photos, but look at the accompanying video of them as well, you would see them (laughs) walk to a car. Jason basically looks like he's walking Olivia to her car where they chat pretty animatedly for a little bit before hugging and then parting ways. Jason sort of flicks up a peace sign as he walks away. Now it comes... (laughs) That is the most Jason Sudeikis (laughs) thing ever. truly. It comes two months after people reported that Olivia Wilde had, of course, split from her boyfriend of two years, Harry Styles, amongst a flurry of some of the worst press I've Mm. ever seen a celebrity received. Now, their hug, of course, also comes three months after the couple's former nanny alleged that Olivia essentially left Jason for Harry and that he basically responded to that by throwing himself under her car and not letting her leave. Mm. It's quite the 180, given the things as well. 180. That Olivia said in the last sort of year or so about Jason. And she said this stuff publicly. Yeah. Do we want a quick refresher yeah, on I some of Olivia's quotes? Because in April last year, she was, of course, served with the custody papers while presenting on stage at CinemaCon. We have told that story so many times. You're all very familiar with it by now. In a court filing, Olivia reportedly said she believed Jason, and we quote, chose to serve her in the most aggressive manner possible, which was, again, a quote, intended to threaten me and catch me off guard. These two were not friendly last year. No, she also said in an interview with Variety in August of that incident, it was my workplace. In any other workplace, it would be seen as an attack. It was really upsetting. It shouldn't have been able to happen. There was a huge breach in security which is really scary she also went on and said sadly it was not something that was entirely surprising to me i mean there's a reason i left that relationship yikes so now they're hugging on the sidewalk and i've got to say i don't know who they're working with in a pr sense but the timing's pretty smart i think it's so let smart. the new year happen that let people take their summer breaks come back and say we're going to set up a pap shot And we're going to do it really casually. My favorite part about what, and I would recommend people actually, if at all you're interested, watch the video (laughs) I put into that I watched because they're having a conversation quite animatedly. And to me, I mean, the thing is, Jason Sudeikis is an actor and he's doing wonderfully. You could just tell that he's putting on nods and laughs and like. This is set up for sure. Absolutely. They're doing such a good job not to look over their shoulder and like take a peek at the pap. 
Yeah, you can tell. I think watching Jason's mannerisms and face, I'm like, you're acting out a conversation. Like, this is not a real conversation. Yeah. I, but I don't mind. Good on them. No, I think this is genius. I think this is very much new year, new us. We're friends again. We're doing the co-parenting thing, energy. And I am impressed. We often hate what celebrities do in PR land. I think these two got a lot wrong last year. They're starting off 2023 on the right note. Is this the beginning of a good publicity <laughs> round for Olivia Wilde? Let's see. Our second story. Nicola Peltz's billionaire father sues her failed wedding planners. That is from the Daily Beast. Oh, my, my. So <sighs> Nicola Peltz Beckham's dad, Nelson, is suing her wedding planners, and we say wedding planners 2.0, over a $159,000 deposit he gave them that he says wasn't refunded to him. Yes, wedding planners 2.0 because this lawsuit that old Nelly boy decided to take out against the wedding planners reveals a lot of dirty laundry, reveals a lot of stuff, including the fact that Nicola and Brooklyn Peltz Beckham cycled through not one, not two, but three different wedding planners for their April 2022 wedding. Yes. Now, as a quick refresher, this was perhaps the celebrity wedding of the year. It was attended by 500 guests. You had A-listers, including Serena and Venus Williams. You also had Gordon Ramsay there. So what the hell happened here? Because a lot happened here. And I also want to put on the record before we actually go into this. The only reason we know these details is because Nelson has filed this lawsuit. Yes. And they're dirty details. So I always get quite confused when people launch these lawsuits and then just end up looking worse for wear. Yeah, and it's over $159,000 when Nelson Peltz is a literal billionaire. He has $1,000 million and yet he's doing all of this over 159k. This is like a couple of dollars to Nelson Peltz. For sure. And he is arguing that planners Nicole Bragan and Ariana Grijalva, who were hired and fired within nine days last month, so the month before the wedding, need to pay him back his deposit. Hmm. He says they just simply weren't up for the job. He also said their first wedding planner, a guy by the name of Preston Bailey, who planned the wedding of Ivanka Trump. Yeah, he's... And Jared Kushner in 2009 wasn't up for the job. Yeah, and Preston Bailey is like deeply respected in the celebrity wedding industry and yet apparently he simply couldn't handle Nicola and Brooklyn's I wedding. I just feel like if you could do a Trump wedding, you can do a Pelt's wedding. Yeah, 100%. Now, the lawsuit reads like this. Nicola is a world-famous actress who has starred in blockbuster movies and television shows, including, among others, Transformers, Age of Extinction, Bates Motel, <laughs> and The Last Airbender. The guest list included more than 500 people, including numerous celebrities, athletes, dignitaries, and other influential individuals who travel from all around the globe to attend. The celebrity of the wedding couple, combined with the anticipated attendance of many high-profile guests, require that the wedding planner have the expertise and staffing to plan, coordinate and execute a wedding event of the expected calibre and complexity. <laughs> so, the lawsuit included screenshots of messages sent in a group chat between Nicola, the wedding planners, and her father, and the messages are interesting to say the least. In one exchange, one of the wedding planners told Nicola and her dad, I am a wedding planner, not a tech lol. Give me a sec to pull the correct guest list database. I will not let this defeat me. Wink. To which Nelson replied, can someone please call me? And Nicola said, I am tired of catching mistakes on this RSVP list. 
honestly. In a follow-up, Nicola also said, we spoke to him, as in one of the guests, he said he can't come, so explain why he said he RSVP'd yes. Now, just to break this down for everyone, these are two wedding planners who had to come on to a massive scale wedding, like a huge wedding. They had nine days to get their head around someone else's technology in someone else's database, and this is the tone. Like likely the old wedding planners database or tech? Yeah, I mean, I've done one wedding in my life and it was my own. I imagine these wedding planners were expected to get around how another wedding planner did something completely differently to them. And they're now, it's being demanded of them that they know the technology back to front within nine days. I also felt like this passage was pretty damning as well from the Daily Mail report. Here's how the report read. In his lawsuit, Peltz also makes a suggestion that the wedding planners were abusing alcohol. References to alcohol use and possible abuse were not unusual, his attorneys wrote in their lawsuit. In one message where she told Ariana she was going for a tequila before her head exploded, Nicola replied, yes, queen. So they've screenshotted references to alcohol, as in I need wine after all of this, put it in the lawsuit and suggested they were using and abusing alcohol. If that's the case, then I I am the biggest alcoholic under the sun. How many times do you message someone, I need a wine after that, or I need a drink after that, and it's just a joke yeah it's just to say it for sure and I think for me I'm really quite confused about this lawsuit a as I said at the top of this why you'd want to air so much dirty laundry anyway because it just makes you look stupid particularly over a $160,000 deposit but it's also a $160,000 deposit when you were the ones to break the contract that's the whole point of a deposit you pay the deposit and then often if you're breaking the contract you just lose that deposit so now he's fighting for it to be refunded I just feel like this is such a terrible look for Nicholas Brand, given she's already got the quote-unquote diva label. And this was all filed by her dad as well. So the damage to their reputation has to be worth more than the 160000 paycheck. Yeah, it makes me think that Nelson Peltz is chucking a tantrum. He's chucking a hissy fit because he didn't get his way. And part of me goes, why would a billionaire even bother himself with 159000 That is like nothing of his net worth. But then I guess you don't become a billionaire by just letting shit go. You become a billionaire... By chucking a tantrum over this. Yeah, I would agree. And like constantly putting your foot down and not like patting people on the head and letting them go. I don't think you make that much money by doing that. I would also argue, are you fighting for the money or are you just trying to denigrate them publicly? Is it more about that? I don't like this family. I'm so sorry. This this story is a real nail in the coffin. Our third story, the end of the road for The Bachelor. Finale is branded the worst ever as rumours swirl the dating show will be axed for good after disaster ratings. That is from the Daily Mail. Guys, did any of us watch The Bachelor's finale? No. Nope. No. I've read about it. I've watched (laughs) snippets from it. Same, but no. I refuse to spend more than... I didn't want to watch it from the start to the end. No. Well, the finale where we had Bachelors Jed, Felix and Thomas aired on Sunday and it had a five-city metro audience of 358,000 viewers, making it the least watched Bachelor finale in history. It is a 38% audience drop on the previous Bachelor finale, which was already a struggling franchise. Ridiculous. That is so low. It's bad. It's so bad. It's bad. So... We had a proposal. Well, we actually had two, but we're going to get there in a second. (laughs) Let's talk about Thomas first because he actually proposed to Leah who accepted the proposal. They are no longer together though, Mish. They broke up two or three months after the finale. Yeah. I don't want to be snarky because it's like, why would you propose to someone seven weeks into knowing them? You know them for seven weeks. You get engaged. Beck and Leighton are doing all right. Beck and Leighton are... (laughs) 
Yeah, but we love them. Yeah, <laughs> the exception to the rule. <laughs> the exception to the rule. These two are no longer together when they were supposedly going to be walking down the aisle. They gave some quotes to Ten Play. This was Thomas who said, I think it was two or three months after the finale that we broke up. We had an amazing time together and we spent incredible moments together on the show and also after the show. But we realised, spending time together, we had lots of love and care for each other, but we weren't compatible. And compatibility is so important. <laughs> It is. Oh, what a hot day. Sharp, <laughs> sage advice. It's almost like the person you marry, you need to have things in common Not with. <laughs> True. I I mean, I just don't understand the line of thought that is opposites tracked. No. I like I, I know this is a bit of a bad buy, but I'm like, how do opposites attract? <laughs> if you are in a monogamous relationship and intend to be with one person for the rest of your life, which is what I'm signing up for, I need things to talk to him about. Yeah, a little bit. Now, Felix picked Jess. Jess was in an open relationship. This was another super weird storyline in the show. Jess was in a relationship with a guy on the outside called Damien. Random dude, Damien. Now, a big question of the season was, will Jess dump Damien to be with Felix, who wants a monogamous relationship? She did dump Damien, who was actually brought on the show to have that conversation on camera. Yes, he randomly started to have some appearances on the show. And then the day of the finale, she broke up with Damien. Felix picked her, but they also broke up. They said it fizzled naturally after a couple of months. It's really interesting with Felix because he didn't get the best edit on the show. No. <laughs> I would say he got the biggest fuckboy edit of anyone I've ever seen on the show in the history of the show. He was quite the, I'm going to say player. Yeah. I think he played around. He was very boysy. He, yeah, I'll leave it there. And so I can imagine if you're Felix, that's not the kind of image you want to put out to the world if that's not what you feel like you are. No. And I, I would hazard a guess that Felix doesn't think he is a boy's boy or a player. <laughs> so recently, a Daily Mail packed him at the Melbourne airport. <laughs> this is my And he thing. was picking up his luggage and in his hand is just Malala's book. <laughs> <laughs> Malala's book, front and centre for the Pat photo. <laughs> The cover, the cover, like the center of the shot, just says Malala, and it's in his hand. And and remarkably, the cover's facing the camera. The cover isn't inwards. It's not the blurb. Cover. What a coincidence! Weird coincidence. Because I, I mean, I, I, I tend to read on planes, but. I put my book in my bag after I get off the plane. I walk around the airport and read Malala's book all the time. Do you walk around with just with the book in your hand? Of course. And he also just grins at the pap in one point. Like he just stares at the pap and grins. Yes, he did know the pap was there. So it's true. He was smiling for the photo. He knew the pap was there. I did find that just probably my favourite part of the story this way. Do you think he Googled to make me look like I know Feminism. and like women. <laughs> like, what did he Google to come across Malala? It was definitely like feminist book. Feminist book. For woke boys. I think so. <laughs> now, Mish, also we need to talk about Jed as well. He proposed, but she said no. Alicia. Yeah, Alicia did say no. She told him explicitly throughout the show that she didn't want a marriage proposal. Jed decided to ignore that and propose Anyway, now, as he proposed, Alicia talked him into it being not an engagement or a proposal, but just like a commitment ring ceremony. Yes, absolutely. A hot piece of jewellery. Don't propose to me. Just give me a, a good ring. They are telling us they're together. 
But they also have told us that they've only seen each other once since the finale aired. They also are being honest and saying we're not putting a label on anything. We're not boyfriend and girlfriend yet. We just actually need to go on a date in the real world, which is probably the most realistic I've ever heard anyone leave The Bachelor saying. Yeah. I'm a little bit more cynical about this than you are. I know. You don't think they're together. And you think that Channel 10 just needed one of them to work (laughs) out. Genuinely, Channel 10 needed one couple to wheel out to be like, it wasn't a complete failure. (laughs) Like their marriage proposal collapsed Fuck boys off reading Malala. And then we have these two. I think they're just on civil terms. They're mates. They've probably sent a couple of texts back and forth. They've agreed to do this publicity tour because they are literally the only hope Channel 10 has left. I wonder if you get a bonus for that. I think they would. Now, I, I actually think they're just not that phased. I think they're kind of attracted to each other. But Elysia also did say she kissed a few other people since the show ended six months ago. So they're just sort of playing it by ear, as we say. <laughs> yes, our fourth story. And I'm going to let Zara intro and explain this one because you fought for it this week and I don't care about it at all. I love this story. <laughs> Guy Pierce says he has no beef at all with Kate Blanchett. That is from Enemy. I am obsessed with this story. I don't know if either of you have seen it around. But basically, Guy Pierce, very famous Australian actor. Kate Blanchett, very famous Australian actress. Kate Blanchett, bigger deal than Guy Pierce. I think that's fair to say. <laughs> Guy Pierce. Why are you taking slings at Guy Pierce already? Well, I'm not. I'm just, <laughs> I think you have to rank them okay. just for people's context. <laughs> now, Guy Pierce has been tweeting quite interestingly recently. His first tweet about Kate Blanchett was a couple of weeks ago where he sort of reshared on Twitter a fan urging people to view one of Kate Blanchett's past photo shoots. And he just reshared that and said, Ah, uh, no thanks. <laughs> in a second tweet about Kate Blanchett in a matter of days, he reshared her Critics' Choice Award win for her role in Tar. And then he just retweeted that and said, fascinating choice. <laughs> Annabelle. I love that you like this story, I'm Annabelle. I'm loving this. <laughs> it also became clear when people started seeing these tweets that in previous social media posts, he was really, really rooting for Anna de Armas over Kate Blanchett in this award season because they're both up for quite a few awards. He reshared the nomination of Anna de Armas and Kate Blanchett for the Celebrity Film Awards. What with the, the fuck is that? The with, Celebrity who cares? Film Awards. And he wrote, please be Anna de Armas, incredible performance. <laughs> So he is going out of his way to not get behind Kate Blanchett. A guy named Chris on Twitter, <laughs> thanks to Chris, screenshotted these tweets and just said, why does Guy Pierce have beef with Kate Blanchett? Lol. And that tweet got 18,000 likes. Guy then replied to that tweet saying, fear not, no beef at all. I was merely being sarcastic. I adore Miss CB. She's incredible. One of our best. <laughs> It's better than me. This is <laughs> a bigger star than I could ever be. This is Matthew Perry and Keanu Reeves playing out, but on local soil. Yeah, fair. I think I would care about this if we could sub in any other guy for Guy Pierce. I just you don't with Guy Pierce. I truthfully, and this might make me seem super uncultured. I don't know much about Guy Pierce, and I don't think I could pick him out of a lineup. Do oh, you, he's got a pretty recognizable. You face. would know him here. Not really, guys. <laughs> like, I I understand it's funny. Do we think he just had a few wines? One he was night? in Mayor of East Town. <laughs> Didn't you watch that, you, mate? You haven't watched The Lion King. Don't come for me over Mayor of East Town. Stage production of Lion King. I just haven't seen the movie. <laughs> now I do care about this because. Guy Pierce is hot and yeah, it's an interesting story. He's a bit of a silver fox. But also I Kate just love... pretty hot. I, I love it. Yeah, she is. I love it when people 
do stuff like this, like so obviously want to make a point. Somebody points it out and they go, nothing to see here. I couldn't love her more. Yeah. Maybe they are friends and he's trying to be funny, but it's just not landing. Really? I don't think Kate Planchette would find this funny. Uh, no thanks to photos of her. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... Really? Old buddy, old pal. <laughs> Shut up. If my friend did that, I'd be like, Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Guy's middle name is Gaslighter, I think. I yeah. think he just hates Kate Blanchett. Something's up there. Something's and I'll up. stay on the case and let you know how I go. <laughs> okay. You guys tell us. Do you care? You care. <laughs> fifth story. Austin Butler gives ex Vanessa Hudgens credit for inspiring him to pursue Elvis. That is from CNN. Guys, we had to give you an update because last week we spoke on the show about how Austin Butler refused to kind of mention Vanessa Hudgens by name or identifier. He just said, like, my friend really put me onto the Elvis role instead of saying my ex-girlfriend of almost a decade, Vanessa Hudgens. And it became clear that we felt like Vanessa did care about that. Oh, yes. Yes. She commented on some things about Austin Butler. It made headlines. So Austin Butler then did an interview with the LA Times and the interviewer said, there is something I hope you can clear up. You've talked about a moment before you had the role. It was Christmas time and an Elvis song came on and you were with a friend and you were singing along. And your friend, to which Austin Butler interrupted and said, I was with my partner at the time and the interviewer sort of spoke over him again as well and said, said you should play Elvis. And people are saying, you must have been with Vanessa Hudgens. So that's right. And then Austin Butler said, that's right. We'd been together for so long and she sort of had this clairvoyant moment and I really, really owe her a lot for believing in me. Austin, good job. I think I backed you up last week to say I too would get anxiety (laughs) and avoid saying my ex's name. I'm glad he cleared this up and he did it so quickly and now the story has died and everyone's happy. I liked it. I like it. Stamp of approval from Shameless. Is that all for today's Quick and Dirty? Uh, it was actually your Quick and Dirty and yet it is. Oh. <laughs> yes, me. It is all, yes. Yes. all done. Thank you, next bitch. Alrighty, Mish. So one of the biggest stories floating around on TikTok, but also outside of TikTok this week, has been about influencer, beauty influencer, Michaela Nagara, and that mascara review where she was reviewing a mascara from L'Oreal Paris. And a lot of people started to insinuate that she had put on false lashes instead of just enjoying the effects of the mascara. Yes. So the caption of this sponsored video was, these are the lashes of my dreams. Some of the quotes in the video included, this literally changed my life and this looks like false lashes. Now, the weird thing about that, this looks like false lashes bit, is she goes to say that and then stops and says something else. We're going to play you a snippet of that here. You, this literally just changed my life. This looks like false li- This is how? What? <laughs> now, the issue, as you said, Zara, is that millions of people are certain that Michaela actually did secretly apply false lashes halfway through filming. So she does one coat of mascara on camera. You see her lashes look lengthened and look pretty black and do all the things that you want a mascara to do. Michaela then goes off camera. She cuts the video and said that she applied a couple of coats of mascara off camera. When she comes back on... Her lashes don't just look lengthened and black. They look like they have multiplied. Yes, I would agree with that. And now at the time of recording, the lash video has 42 million views. It also has 71,000 comments. Some of the top comments include, I feel like we're being lash lighted, <laughs> which is not bad. <laughs> you, you know, the gas lighted. Another person. Oh, oh, 
another Your per- blank look, yeah. Annabelle. <laughs> another person wrote, okay, girl, now do it without the falsies. <laughs> <laughs> now, the, the video and the backlash to this, Michelle, has literally gone crazy. Mm. It has even spawned the return of the beauty influencer community's most controversial figure, Jeffrey Star, mm. who says that he's returning to beauty influencing as if he's some sort of what freedom fighter. People are acting like a messiah has risen and is back to make everything good again. Like, let's remember, Jeffree Star had left influencing because he was a pretty terrible person to, like, a lot of other people in the beauty influencer community. He also has instances of being racist, of saying some awful things. Like, we did a scandal series on Jeffree Star and James Charles and Tardy Westbrook. And let me tell you, none of them come out of it great. Jeffree Star did not come out of that well at all. When we were researching, we were like, we are terrified of this person. I was genuinely terrified. Terrified. Of the things that I learned. Here is a snippet of what he had to say in response to the Michaela backlash. Now, as a makeup artist, since I was 20 years in the game, bitch, I, it looks peculiar. It looks bizarre. The mascara's on, it looks cute, and then all of a sudden there's a, a swish, and all of a sudden there's some extra shit on the end, and I don't know what the fuck it is. But Michaela, you set the tone now. I used to set the tone on YouTube. When I said something did not work, the fucking internet knew I was telling the truth. Now, at the time of recording, Michaela has not responded to the outrage and the backlash. She only left a comment on the original sponsored video saying that she was not wearing false lashes. It's just like an incredible mascara. And that's it. Now, before we get into some of the backlash, I want to bring one thing to the table because I know listeners will come to us and say this. I have seen one viral video from creator O'Kayla who suggested that this is all a publicity stunt for L'Oreal Paris and that this is just a way for people to go out and test the mascara and how genius of them and Michaela's delivered on her KPI because this is now all anyone can talk about. What do we think of that? There is no way (laughs) this is a publicity stunt. No brand wants their brand to go viral for this. They don't. Maybe if you're a tiny disruptor brand and you're indie, maybe. I will eat the table we're recording at if Lauren... (laughs) And let me tell you, boys and girls, it's a sturdy one. (laughs) All that money spent on Invisalign going down the drain. I will eat the table if L'Oreal Paris set this up as a PR stunt. I can tell you with 100% certainty. (laughs) Okay, all right. Can we at least do 99.99? 99.9 recurring certainty that any major beauty brand's HQ or head office would be freaking out. Like their head office would be in an absolute tizzy over this. I agree. I totally agree. And I think when it comes to this story, I really need to unpack my gut instinct. Mm -hmm. And my gut instinct if I'm honest, is to feel bad for Michaela. Like I said that to you. I said, I feel, oh, this pool of being like, ah, this is not good. I think firstly, as we mentioned Jeffree Star before, having done our research on Jeffree Star through Scandal, I will always have a sick feeling in my stomach when he leverages someone else's social media storm to play hero. Mm -hmm. I will always feel quite scared for the other person on the other side of that. Secondly, I think it's also relevant here. This is a woman who only recently said that her job was ruining her mental health and she was really, really, really struggling. And we spoke about that on mic. And I do worry about how she will be experiencing her second social media storm in a matter of months. I truly am never sure that the crime fits the punishment. Mm. I I do find it quite fascinating 
that maybe some of us might have selective memory or selective observational skills because so many ads are photoshopped and manipulated. I am not saying that's right. It would be wonderful to have a world without all of it. Every time we watch TV, I would say there is manipulation when it comes to advertising. Yeah, and the fascinating thing about this is that I would say above any other product I can think of, mascara advertising is so heavily manipulated. I don't think I've seen many ads for mascara that haven't been CGI enhanced or used false lashes. They have to declare that. If you flick through a magazine or look on television at the mascara ads that we're served, they all have enhancements. Like this is just part of the mascara advertising industry. I remember I saw an ad on television last year from a mascara brand that proudly announced we're not using any enhancements in this ad <laughs> because we don't need to. The mascara is that good. That shows how widespread this is, that one ad that doesn't use it is like this groundbreaking <laughs> anomaly. Like we don't need to do that when everyone else does. An article pointing out how common enhancements in mascara ads are was published in the New York Times in 2013. Yeah. Ten years ago, the New York Times was like, Hey guys, we're all enhancing these mascara ads all of a sudden. And I'm not saying that it's right. I'm not sitting here going, Michaela Naguera is like completely absolved of all guilt. She made a decision we'd all make. I don't think that. I think she's done the wrong thing. But we are being particularly harsh on one person who is simply just bending into what an entire industry <laughs> and so many businesses have been doing for literal decades. I completely agree with you. I also agree with you and I need to say it again. I don't think she's done the right thing at all. It's a pretty silly thing to do and it's completely dishonest. That said, it is so fascinating to me from like, I guess, a human psychology lens about why we are so outraged when an influencer does it and never outraged when companies do it. Like, what does that say about us? I would say it says a lot about the fact that we invest, we feel we invest emotional energy in influencers and feel like they owe us things. But I would also say that the other part of it is that there's a real smugness that mm -hmm. we have when we spot a human doing something wrong, particularly a human with a big following and a high profile, and we can point them out and say, you did this wrong, let's pull you down. Yeah. I think that's a huge part of it. And I don't think any of us can unpack that in ourselves, that we're probably motivated more by a desire to rip someone down than we are for justice. Yeah, I agree. I think so much of it is feeling smug. Truthfully, when I watched this originally, I, I saw this in the middle of last week and I sent it to Yuzara yeah. and I sent it to Re in our partnerships team because my first thought was how the hell does a brand and does an influencer handle this kind of PR crisis? But one of my prominent feelings watching the video was, aha, you can't trick me. I can see falsies in this. And then I went to the comment section and everyone else commented that too. So it was like a a confirmation within myself that I was too clever to be tricked. Yes. Like you're trying to trick me and I will not be tricked. And then I think it's the outrage or the frustration comes from the doubling down from Michaela. The fact that she went back to someone and commented, no, I'm not wearing falsies. I think that is where a big part of this exploded. And I think that's a really interesting thing for Michaela and her team and other influencers in the industry to really unpack. I think doubling down on what I believe is a lie. I do believe she's wearing false lashes. I can't say it with complete certainty. Not her 100% certainty. <laughs> so you her. won't eat the table anymore. <laughs> <laughs> this is a different eating table. <laughs> I can't say this with complete certainty, right? Like maybe my eyes are deceiving me. Maybe she's telling the truth. I do think she's lying though. 
The doubling down on the lie is such a mistake because truthfully, if I was her PR manager and I want to ask you both this now, what do you do from there? To lie is one thing. To then double down or triple down on the lie makes it very, very hard to come back. And that's why I'm not surprised that she hasn't released an apology video or like a here's what happened. Let's unpack it. Let's address it video yet. I do think there's one point that we're not entirely acknowledging yet and we have no idea what her contracts look like. I I don't know what she would be able to do and what she wouldn't be able to do. So I think that's too tough of a line of thought to go down. The natural thing for a lot of people is to say, well, she's paid tens of thousands of dollars to do these videos. Why can't she just be honest about them? And I think that's probably fair. I do think it should have been called out. I think there's nothing wrong with people saying, oi, are you having us on here? Oi. <laughs> are you having us on here? But then sort of just leave it and then sort of move on. And ideally, she would come out and say, yeah, actually, I did do that. It's not an entirely truthful ad. Still a great mascara, though, because look how my eyelashes looked before the reported falsies came on. And then move on. She does earn a lot of money. So I appreciate the expectations are very, very high as they should be. But I am just not sure taking one woman to task for something that is all across advertising is fair. I mean, mm. hell, did you guys ever grow up watching those Easy Off Bam ads? Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking uh, about. Not just Easy Off Bam. The guy in the ads was called Martin Grellis and I once Facebooked him to say I love the Easy Off Bam ads and Martin Grellis and I were like, shut the fuck up. Martin Grellis is this I... Bam and the Dirt is gone? Yes. Yeah, okay, right. I used Got to it. beg my mother to buy Easy Off Bam. <laughs> I was such a sucker for those ads. My mother was like, we're not doing that. The ads aren't real. Use a bit of Trish McDonald eyes and say, do I make my own adult decisions when I'm purchasing things? Don't be a 12-year-old me. I'm just realising that Easy Off Bam built a whole business of like appealing to 13-year-old <laughs> children. It was like Bam and their the, parents. the dirt was gone. Like, like <laughs> it sparkled. The, the, the bench top sparkled. It's magic. <laughs> Martin, if you're listening, I haven't spoken to you in a while. <laughs> How did you message him? That is so I loved the ad so much and I begged my parents to buy those products so much. My dad was like, if you love Martin Grellis like this, just reach out to him. So I did. And then we started messaging. <laughs> he was always very appropriate. Let me put that out there as well. I was like 13 years old. Just a fan. Just a fan. Just a time. fan reaching out to a, to a great person in the industry. Martin's really appreciate that. Maybe, and maybe he'll see this and we can rekindle our pen pal connection. And he can tell us what happened behind the scenes of an easy off bam shoot. A hundred percent. Anyway, I know that's a bit of a, I know that's a bit of a sidetrack. I do wonder whether it's helpful to hold one person accountable to something that is entirely widespread. That is not to say people shouldn't have initially acknowledged it Mm. and that we shouldn't have a conversation about it. I just, again, and as I say time and time again, never feel like the punishment fits the crime and I think we're doing so much more damage than we're doing freedom fighting. Yeah, I think the issue we come to time and time again is it's all well and good for us to sit on this show and be like, it gets too much, like call it out, but then stop. Like millions of people are making the decision to call it out without knowing that they're one of a million people calling it out at the same time but comment call it out in the comment section but it's these people making incessant videos people kind of going through her tiktok and trying to find ways where she might have lied about Mm. wedding dress shopping in the past that i find completely outrageous and truthfully quite unforgivable yeah so fair it's going to be really interesting to see what michaela can do off the back of this i know a lot of people will be sitting there saying well she's got a bunch of money to cry into truthfully we are nowhere near as big but very limited experience of being called out for something or whatever on social media 
makes me wholeheartedly believe nothing is worth this. Like no amount. I don't care if she was paid 70 grand, 100 grand, 200 grand for that video. It is not worth the mental toll it takes to feel like everyone on the internet hates you. Yeah, I agree with that. So I truly just hope she's doing well. And at the end of the day, she didn't do the right thing, but also... Just test the mascara yourself, I guess. I don't know. And it's making me think of that TikTok trend, like, you know what it never was? That serious. Yeah. <laughs> it was never that serious. Yeah, thank you. What a spot to end on, guys. That is all we've got time for today. Thank you, as always, for listening. You know what to do to support us. Come and click follow on Spotify or Apple or whatever app you listen on. That helps other people find our show. Yeah, guys, thank you so much for listening. Annabelle Lee, anything else to add? No. No. We'll be back in your ears on Monday for a new Scandal series. I know. Another three-parter coming away. Bye. Bye. Shameless Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.